Luke chapter 2, take your Bible if you would. I don't know how many times at uh, Christmas I have said, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2, but, but many. I have been preaching now, wow, for about five years actually. And, <laughs> and so I think, you know, Luke chapter 2, take your Bibles and turn to. And sometimes we wonder, like, how many, how many sermons can we can we preach from Luke chapter two? And, and obviously the, the Bible is this well that never runs dry. So you can, you can keep lowering your bucket and anywhere you lower the bucket in the Bible, you're gonna be able to come up with something that is refreshing. And I pray, of course, the same is true tonight. There's something rather trendy um, today. It, it certainly was not trendy back in the day. In fact, I asked uh, Dr. Zach, before the service, I said, hey, when you guys were, were having kids, did you find out their gender before the kids were born? And he paused and he's like, wow, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't remember, but you know, that, that is uncommon today to, to not have some kind of reveal. Now, of course, there was a time when you just didn't know until the baby was born. You know, it wasn't like, um, are you going to find out? Well, the answer was yes, when the baby is born. That's when we're going to find out. But, but now we have, you know, abilities to learn a little bit more about the child's gender. And um, I received this. This was just a, a, a text video that was sent out. In fact, let me show you a picture of the Gorley family. So the Gorleys, you know, this is Chuck and Leah Gorley. Pastor Gorley's our youth pastor. And then there's Grant, who's there with his dad. Ava's there with her mom. And, and uh, Chuck and Leah found out that they were going to have another baby here not too long ago. And now this is their third. So, do you know, how many of you are firstborn children? Firstborn in the family. Okay, so... You know, like if anything falls on the ground with a firstborn, you know, they, 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 you know they, they throw it away basically because it can never be used again because this might harm my child. But how many of you are secondborn kids? Secondborn. Okay, a lot of you. How many of you, how many thirdborn kids? It's amazing you're still living actually, okay? <laughs> because you just, you know, like, okay, well, it's not been there. It's that, that's, that's the... It, it, the first kid, it can't touch the floor. Second kid, it's five second rule. Third kid, it's like, ah, oh, it's not been more than a day. So, you know, it kind of just <laughs> progresses through the course of, of children. So, Pastor Gorley, I said, okay, now, did you know the, the gender before the reveal of the third? Because this is their third one. He said, well, this is the third. So, he's saying, yes, we, we did know. But they still had this, this little gender reveal. And I have a video of it. Now, there are some... Before we show the video, there are some really elaborate gender reveals, you know, that just, some, some are gender reveals gone wrong. We're not going to look at those tonight, okay, because that would be distracting. But there are some that have, have been, you know, colossal fails. This was not. And um, so let's see what, what the Gorleys did to reveal to their family and friends. <laughs> that was, now listen to this again, yeah, ready? <laughs> Who do you think that was? <clears throat> it was Pastor Gorley. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> 
No, that was a family member. But if you were listening, you could hear their son, Grant. Grant was like, dad's getting ready. You know, he's going to swing. And he's like, oh, you know. So he was excited for dad. And, and then they found out that they're going to have a, another baby girl. Well, reveal parties are, are part of our culture today. But, but there was a first reveal party. And it is unmatched in history. There was the revelation of not, not only gender, but office and purpose and status as in this is God in the flesh. And, and it was spectacular. I mean, there was something that did literally light up the sky. So your Bibles are open. Let's take a look at what we're calling tonight the best baby reveal ever. Your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 2. Let's look down at verse number 8. Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse number 8. Words that I suspect you know well, but let's read them again for our, our purpose tonight. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Okay, let's, let's walk through this passage rather briefly tonight and Let's consider some of the aspects of this greatest baby reveal ever. The first thing that we notice is the reveal was private. The reveal was private. Now, again, it's about to go public. So there will be many others. Once a reveal takes place here, even in our culture today, there's a group of people that are invited to the reveal. So it's not, it's not generally speaking this everybody can come. There is a group of people, special family, special friends. But as soon as the information is out, I mean, I mean it just starts to, to go everywhere. It becomes public information. But it began as private. This reveal was very specifically given to a group. It's not, it's not open to everyone. It says again, Luke chapter 2, verse number 8, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now the, the thought of this, even the, the pictures that God is sending to mankind through this reveal that is this private reveal to the shepherds, it's meaningful. Shepherds are commonly understood at this time, and we, we romanticize it now. We have these, these, I don't know, these warm, almost romantic feelings about the idea that the shepherds were with the sheep. And, but, but during that day, these are the, in a sense, they're the public outcasts. They, they are considered perpetually unclean for temple worship. 
their job demands that they're going to be involved in those things and, and ceremonially will remain unclean. The things they have to touch, that which they have to do to, to care for a wounded or even to touch a dead animal, a dead sheep. Now, the fact that they can't be at the temple, the fact, this is a major thing, the fact that they're actually caring for their sheep on the Sabbath day. I mean, these, these are the people who are the unclean, continually unclean. Now, think about the picture of, of this baby reveal. Who is God revealing himself to? He's revealing himself to those who are perpetually unclean. What are you and I? We are those that, that if we start to walk again through Romans chapter one, we see, wow, we are not just unclean. We are filthy in our status before God. So what's the picture that he gives to us here? The picture is, is that he is coming to those in need of cleansing. He reveals himself to them. And then I think there are some additional pictures because God does not, he doesn't stray from this idea of, of pictures and of purpose and even of, of some sense of like, oh, wow, there's a warmth to this. The shepherd, the, the, the one who is coming as the good shepherd, the one who is coming that will give his life, the one who will give his life as the sheep, the one who will give himself to, to, to go seek and to save the one lost sheep, the shepherd is coming and revealing himself to the shepherds. But even more important, the lamb is coming. The, the one who said, this is the final sacrifice. It's quite possible that these shepherds would have been caring for what we would refer to as those sacrificial, the temple sheep. That these could have been, you know, geographically, I mean, locationally, they could have been at the place outside of Jerusalem. It could have been the place where David himself was shepherding the sheep. Could have been the place where those, those temple sheep were cared for. And they're offered, the sheep that they're protecting are actually going to be sacrificed. Their blood spilled. And lamb after lamb, uh, perf perfection after perfection, the perfect spotless lamb, the one that best represents the one that's coming, they would be slaughtered, their blood shed, and this happened. I, I mean, think of the, the, I don't mean to be graphic about this, but the rivers of that which was shed that never fully satisfied. And what is it that Jesus comes? He comes as the final sacrifice. Behold, as we have often quoted, John the baptizer, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So these are the shepherds. The, the reveal was private. It was revealed to the shepherds. But let's go a little bit further. Look at verse number nine. We see that the reveal was not only private, the reveal was also powerful. Like, whoa, what a reveal. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. Do you remember when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration? She takes with him Peter and James, John, the three go up. This is kind of like that inner circle. And they go up and, and Moses and Elijah are going to appear there with Jesus. And Jesus is transfigured before them. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. What does Jesus do? 
It's as if Jesus just peels back the, the earthly veil and now we see this brilliance, this glory of God revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter doesn't know what to do. He, he's, he's dumbfounded. He's awestruck at what he is witnessing. The glory of God. He, he's shown with a countenance befitting deity. Uh, 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 Peter doesn't know what to say. Uh, 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 Lord, it's good for us to be here. Uh, let's build three, three places to worship. Ah, Peter, you know, th- this is, these are men just like you, but, but not Jesus. You know, you have, you have Moses, he's, he's just a man. You have Elijah, just a man. They, they were great men, truly they were, but just men. But Jesus, and he, Peter, he just is blown away. He sees the glory of God. What is it now that has been lacking on earth for some time? Do you remember when the Shekinah glory falls upon the, the first of all, the tent, the tabernacle in the wilderness? And, and now there is something that is being pictured, the very presence of God dwelling among man. And then when Solomon builds the temple, the, the glory of God so fills the temple that the priests can't even continue on with their work. There is some visible sense that the glory of God has filled the house. But interestingly enough, before before the, the Babylonian invasion, before the, the temple is desecrated, when the people of Israel had strayed far from God, the glory of God is actually removed from the temple. God was going to reveal, in fact, we, we could study this out further, but he's going to reveal that his glory doesn't need a house, so to speak. It doesn't need a building. But how long had it been since mankind had seen the glory of God? There's something powerful connected to the knowledge of his presence. Let me ask you this. They're about to witness again this, whoa, the the glory of God. Have you ever been in the presence of someone and you sensed, not that you were in the presence of God, but that they had been. Not, not that like, whoa, I think, I think they, they are, not, I'm not saying that in the least. I'm just saying, have you ever been around someone and you could sense that they had been in the presence of God and they were rightly representing him? I, I know that I'm gonna say this personally and I suspect that most people could identify with this. I know so often there are times when, when a person would be around me and sense that, well, I know what it's like to be around him. When I become frustrated, filled with myself, a person can know, I know whose presence I've been in. I wonder, I wonder when you pause and just think about, you know, the, the manner with which you conduct yourself, have we left something of God because they have been in our presence? And they sense like, whoa, I I know where that person's been. They have been with God. Well, the glory of God is about to be revealed here. And and it had been some time since that glory had been seen on earth. 
I mean, he reveals this to us. We, we, these are not things that we, we're not aware of, but this, this reveal was gonna be powerful. Exodus chapter 16, for example, verse number seven, and in the morning, then shall ye see the glory of the Lord. Psalm 63, verse number two, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. That was, that was a Psalm of David. Like, God, I've seen your glory. I, to see you, your power, just like I have seen in the sanctuary. The glory of the Lord had been removed for some time, but I would submit that God desires continually to reveal his glory every day. We oftentimes use this for different purposes, but and all are legitimate, all are valuable. But when you think about the means by which his glory is revealed today, Paul says it with almost this incredulous, what? Like, wow, I'm surprised you wouldn't know this. What, know ye not? Didn't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify your father, glorify God. He's saying, do something that, that shouts of the glory of God. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The reveal of Christ's birth, it was accompanied by the glory of God, powerful. What is it that today you and I have that speaks of that kind of power? You have the same glory, the one who's supposed to be residing within you, within me. I know we fail at this often, but may our failures be only an opportunity to be reminded that the glory of God is supposed to be seen in my life that we are the image bearers, that when someone else looks at us, they have someone higher that they are truly seeing. Well, what do we see about this reveal? The first thing we see is that, that it was private. We also see it was powerful. Let, let's go a little bit further and say, and see that this reveal was personal. It was very personal. Uh, Luke 2, beginning verse number 10. Um, if you circle things in your Bibles, I know we'll have this passage uh, up for you to see, but if you have your Bible and you circle things, for some reason I have, I have kind of, I don't know, I've just kind of passed over this and it was meaningful to me. When I'm studying for this, it was meaningful. It's like, wow, how did I not see this? Might be something you'd want to circle or underline. And the angel said unto them, that's personal, them, fear not, for behold, I bring you. That's very personal. Now, I'm not just, I'm bringing good tidings. He said, no, 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 no. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. This is not limited to you, but I'm bringing it first right now to you. For unto you, very personal, is born this day unto you. He's saying, hey, listen, this, this is for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Do you see how many times that this messenger from God, this one who is coming, do you see how many times God is speaking very specifically to you? 
mean, he's not talking to all kinds of other people. He's talking very specifically. I find it insightful that many times we assume that something is for someone else. Like, yeah, that's for other people. That, that doesn't really, but, but here God, it seems like he's going to great pains to say, I'm not just giving this public grand uh, 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 for whosoever. I love the word whosoever, but I also love the very specific personal address that he gives to this group of shepherds, these needy outcasts. And he says, hey, listen, I'm talking to you. Many times I have this mental ability to compartmentalize messages that may be God sending to me, but I try to apply it to someone else. How many of us haven't been in a church service where we have said in our mind, oh, I'm telling you, I know exactly who needs that. And haven't we come away from services saying, I sure wish so-and-so would have been there today. And, or we say, I, I hope they were listening to Well, how many times do we miss the idea that God is not just speaking to someone else? Man, he's talking to us. And here, make no mistake about it. He says, hey, listen, here's a message. And he's not just saying, hey, uh, uh, this is a message for the world. So go tell everybody about this. That is true. We're going to have that. But he is saying, first, I want you to know this is for you. You know, God has something that, that is for you. To not miss that, to not, not just assume, to not become numb to it. I hear messages all the time. I, I hear preaching all the time. I, I grew up in church and I, yeah, but God is still, he still has a message for you. It, this is a personal message. God knows you. He, he knows your need. He knows your name. Psalm 91, 14 because he hath set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. You say, well, he might know my name, but does he really know? I mean, we, we go then to passages like Luke 12, six and seven, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Not one of them is forgotten before God, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. There's a song that I have heard sung here at Campus Church and, and the song is, um, he knows your name. There is something powerful about someone calling you by, by your name. He doesn't just know about you. This reveal was very personal. He said, this is for you. The reveal was praiseworthy. It was something to be repeated. In other words, there are some things that can be revealed and it's like, ah, yeah, mm, nice. Not this. This reveal is accompanied by a praise that is fitting for the same. It's praise worthy. It's something to be talked about. Now, certainly there are things and, and, and such items that shouldn't be talked about or times when it wouldn't be appropriate. But not this. So what we have here is we have an opportunity for praise. And I'm telling you what is about to be revealed was not only praised by the shepherds that the message was delivered to. It has been praised and repeated, sung about and written about and shared about for these past 2,000 years. 
look at the passage and, and what is revealed here. Luke chapter two, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Of course, when you start to think about the debate over, you know, what the angels did, I, I was talking to the college choir before the service. I said, how many of you think that the angels sang or how many of you think that they just spoke? So um, let me ask you before I tell you what the college choir said. How many of you think that the angels sang um, the message, glory to God in the highest? How many think they sang? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you think they only spoke? Raise your hands. Okay. We have a church divided. Okay. Well, to keep from causing a church split, let's just move on. Okay. So... Actually, when you start to think, you know, the multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, you know, there is some debate. However, the Greek word that's used here, it does mean to praise, to extol, to sing praises in honor to God. So can we be definitive? Did they say it or speak it? I don't know. I like the thought of them singing because there is this multitude of the heavenly host. When we have these, these visions of heaven and the, the, the host of angels, thousands upon ten thousands and thousands, and, and did they sing? In Revelation, we understand that there is going to be singing in heaven and that they sang a new song and then the angels are there and the angels proclaim. So were they part of that, that choral arrangement? I tend to think that they are, but maybe they're only speaking. I don't know, quite honestly. Did they sing it or speak it? I don't know. But what I do know is it was a powerful, resounding chorus of praise. And, and in my mind, I have pictured, you know, first of all, one angel goes to make the announcement. And if angels have this, you know, Father, can we go now? He's like, no, 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 wait. You know. So if this is like the, the precipice of heaven, and they're just all perched on the edge of heaven, waiting to, you know, just explode with this lightning fast quickness. And just watch this. I'm not going to do that, okay? <laughs> and they're just going to, you know, explode over the, the bank of heaven. And then they're going to, with this mighty chorus, glory to God in the highest. I mean, they're like, now, now. He says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Now, no, wait, 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 now, and bam, they just go. And it's amazing, this chorus. What are they saying? And why is it so praiseworthy? Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Why is this so, so powerful? Look at verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Who is he? He's a Savior. That was politically incorrect for them to say. There are, still, there are still monuments, still inscriptions that can be seen today that would call Caesar the savior. You're not supposed to call anyone the savior except for the one that wanted to proclaim himself as the savior of mankind. But do you know what the angel said? There is a savior and there really truly is only one that can fit that bill. 
Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Who is he? He's announced as the Christ. The Christ. Do you know what that means? It means the anointed one. Here's what it meant to every Jew. It meant, ooh, you use that term, you're talking about the Messiah, the promised one. Not only is he the Savior, he is the promised one, the Messiah. Peter said it this way, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what else does this statement find as praiseworthy? He is the Lord, the Lord. This would have been the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament Yahweh. This means that Jesus is God. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long with you and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God. What was revealed to a group of shepherds on a lonely hillside as they watched their flocks by night? What was revealed was the Savior, the Christ, the Lord who is God. And do you know what was revealed first to them at that first reveal has also been revealed to us. And we have the wonderful privilege to continue to reveal that truth to all who will hear. May that reveal continue on and on and people know the living Christ.